If you turn on the television, what do you hear? COVID-19. Turn on the radio, what do you hear? COVID-19. You go to the store, you're reminded of COVID-19. You come to church, a place where we're supposed to leave the world out of, you have to hear about COVID-19. You got people that agree with what government does. You got people that disagree with what government does. I don't know about you. I get tired of hearing it. And so I thought it would be good to remind us of something that's very important. And that is that Jesus loves us. I've preached uh, about this topic a couple of times, used the songbook, and that's basically what I'm doing today. Using the song to remind us that Jesus loves us. And how do we know that? Because the Bible tells us so. And I think that that's a very good song because it tells us, it states a fact, and then it goes on to show the evidence without using Scripture of why that is true. The song was written by a, name, a lady by the name of Anna Bartlett Warner. It was written with her sister Susan as part of a best-selling novel of the day called Say and Seal. The poem was used by a character in a novel called Mr. Linden as he tried to comfort a dying boy named Johnny Fax. It was set to music, and four other verses were added to the song, which are not in our songbook, by William Bradbury in 1861. So there you have the history of the song. Well, now let's talk about the song and what the Bible has to say. First of all, I think that it's very incredible that Jesus loves us and we need to understand that He loves me, He loves you, He loves every person in this world. Not only the people that are on the earth today, but the people that have been on the earth, the people that will ever be on the earth, He loves us all. And that's an important fact for us to remember. That we're not alone. As I started preaching when all of this took place, the first thing that I mentioned was that we're not alone, that God is with us. And God is with us and Jesus is with us. Why? Because they love us and they care about us and they want us to know that. And so it should be an incredible fact to know that God loved us so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross for you and me. And so how do I know that Jesus loves me even though He lived 2,000 years ago? Because the Bible tells me so. And that Bible is inspired. That Bible is important. And we can trust the Word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, "...all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works." 
It doesn't say part of the Scriptures are given by the inspiration of God. It doesn't say the majority or a certain portion. It says all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. That means that all Scripture is God-breathed. That it is what God wanted it to be. And we also know that it is divine. It came from God. It is something that we need to understand. Because the people today, they would like to have a God, they would like to have a Jesus, but they don't want to listen to God's Word. And God's Word is something that each one of us need to realize the importance of understanding and knowing what He wants us to do by reading it and studying it. The Apostle Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They were led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit guided them in what to write. And as I said earlier this morning, there's no way that people sat in a back room and came up with this idea that we're going to have a Savior eventually come to the world. You think about it, at the time of Christ, the world had been in existence about 6,000 years. So all the way back in the book of Genesis, in the garden, when the promise was made that someone would come, you think that it was possible to build upon that year after year after year, century after century? It's not possible. To have the consistency that feathers all the way through, that thread that goes all the way through the Bible that talked about a Messiah coming, and then the Messiah came, and He died, and the Bible tells us why He died on the cross. That couldn't have just happened. God made it happen. And we need to understand how important God's Word is. People want God. People want Jesus. But they don't want to take the Bible at its word. They don't want to take Him as the Bible describes Him or expects us to follow. We can go on. How do I know that the Bible tells me or that Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so? In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul wrote, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live not yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Jesus died for all mankind, but here we have Paul saying He died for Him. And so he brings it home. He died for Him. And why? Because He loved Him. He shed His blood for Him. And because of what Jesus did for Paul, Paul was going to allow Christ to live in his life. When you look at the life of Paul after he became a Christian, can you see Christ living in his life? Brethren, I ask you, can people see Christ living in your life? In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, the Apostle Paul, John wrote, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loveth us and washed us from his sins, or from our sins in his blood. There, John says us. He uses that word to include everyone. That Jesus died for His people. He died for those that obey the Gospel. He died for everyone. But that love isn't just for those that are 
followers of His, that love is for all. And so John wants us to see that as Christians, we're going to be victorious. Why? Because Jesus loved us and gave Himself for us. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, This is My commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ever so often you hear on the news where someone has sacrificed their life to save someone else. You hear about that in the, on the battlefield where someone sacrificed their life to save maybe a group of people. Jesus sacrificed His life so that you and I could have the forgiveness of sin. What a friend that Jesus really is. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with the fullness of God. Brethren, Jesus loves us. And we can look at many other passages of Scripture that show us from the Bible that Jesus loves us, all of mankind, but loves us as an individual. Jesus loves me. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. You can look at all the world religions. Buddhists, they have their book that they call the Dharma. But Buddhists, they don't actually believe that there's a God, let alone a God that will love you. When you look at the Hindus, they have many books and many gods, but their gods are not the type that would love. Muslims have the Koran, which tells us about Allah. But Allah is not an impersonal God who really is known for loving people. Only the Bible, only Christ tells us that God loves us. We only learn that through what God said. And think about it. All of those religions, if anybody's loved, it's usually only the nice people that, are, that their God would love. But listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. When God commandeth His love toward us, in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in a state of doing things that were against Christ, Jesus died for us. You think about those on the day of Pentecost that had cried, crucify Him. And when Peter says, ye by wicked hands have crucified Him, <clears throat> Jesus died for them. The Apostle Paul, who when he was known as Saul, went around and he persecuted the church. He made havoc of the church, the Bible says. But yet Jesus died for him. While we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. What makes the Bible distinctive is that it says God loves us. He cares for us. He created us. And we're made in His image. And it hurts Him when we damage our lives. And He wants to make our lives better. And in order to do that, He gave us the most precious gift that anyone could give. And that was His life on the cross. 
You think about what He sacrificed. What He gave up to come to this earth to live for you so that you could have eternal life. John chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, God sent His Son so people do, did not have to perish. They don't have to be lost. He died so that we could have salvation. <clears throat> but it's up to you and me. And so, yes, Jesus loves me. How do I know that? Because the Bible, God's Word, tells me so. The song goes on. Little ones to Him belong. <clears throat> they are weak, but He is strong. We learn from that song that Jesus loves little children. In Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 14. <clears throat> And they brought young children to Him that He should touch them. And His disciples rebuked them that they brought them. And when Jesus saw it, He was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto Me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Believe it or not, I have seen preachers where little children come up to them to talk to them, to say something to them, and they haven't, won't even give them the time of day because someone else is more important. They're talking to some adult and some child is standing there waiting and sometimes they're waiting patiently. But I've seen those preachers just have nothing to do with them because they're kids. That's sad. But Jesus had the time for kids. He had the time for children. He loved them. In fact, in verse 16 of that same chapter, it says, "...and He took them up into His arms and He put His hands on them and bless them. Jesus loves children. Jesus loves them because little children are without sin. Sin is not something that you inherit, as many in a religious world teach. Sin is something that you commit. It's something that you do. And in fact, in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, it says, "...the soul that sinneth it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquities of the Father, neither the Father bear the iniquities of the Son. The righteous of the righteous, or the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon Him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon Him." Old Testament passage, but what is it telling us? It is telling us that I'm going to be responsible for my own sin. I'm not going to have to answer for what my dad did. He's not going to have to answer for what I've done. I'm going to answer for me. You're going to answer for you. I don't have to answer for what Adam did way back there in the garden. I don't inherit his sin. I didn't bring it on me. He didn't give it to me. I suffer the consequences of what he did. But I don't inherit His sin. And it's false teaching, it's false doctrine to believe that we inherit the original sin. Jesus tells us as adults, in fact, that we are to become as little children. Now what does He mean about that? We know that little children sometimes can be petty. We also realize they can be cruel. They can say things that are mean and harsh. Is that what He's telling us that we need to do? No. 
What he's trying to show us is that children are trusting, they are faithful, they are or they have no prejudice, that they are innocent, and that they're very lovable. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You see, little children are weak. They're unable to care for themselves. They cannot protect themselves. They are totally dependent upon someone else. When you think about it, when you think about it, doesn't that really describe us as adults? We are weak. Unable to care for ourselves. We can't protect ourselves. And that we are totally dependent upon God. You think about what we do. Oh, we plant seeds in the ground and we expect them to grow, but who made all of that? Who makes that seed come alive? Who made the dirt? Who made the water? Who made all the nutrients that that plant needs? It wasn't me. It's God. You say, well, I put fertilizer on. Yeah, where did they get the ingredients for that? God. What can we do outside of ourselves that can save our sin? Save us because of our sin. You know, we commit sin, we're in a lost condition. How can we save ourselves? I'm dependent upon Jesus Christ dying on that cross so that I can have a home in heaven. How can I overcome Satan? How can I overcome sin? How can I overcome temptation? I need God's help. I am totally dependent upon God. Paul said in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. What's he saying? When I was weak, Jesus died for me. The only way I can have my sin washed away is through the blood that was shed on the cross. And when it comes to doing something about our sin, man is totally helpless and hopeless without Christ. I can't buy my way into salvation with money. I can't become popular enough to say, hey, look at all the people that know me. God, you've got to give it to me. I need the blood of Christ. You see, Jesus is strong and powerful enough to help us overcome Satan and overcome temptation and overcome sin. But we have to trust Him. Jesus, or John said, John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. You think about the statements that the Bible makes. That I can do all things through Christ that strengthened me. We think about that, what the Bible points out, that with God all things are possible. Why can those statements be made? Because we know with God 
that He is greater than whoever else is out there in the world. He's greater than Satan, and God can help us overcome if we will listen to Him. So He is greater than anything out there in the world, any force that's out there, any Satan force, anything that Satan's doing. God's more powerful. The song goes on to tell us that Jesus died to open the gates of heaven. And the song says, open heaven's gates wide. Jesus made it possible for us to have an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter chapter 1, we read there the Christian graces that we're supposed to add to our lives. Faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. And in verse 10, the Apostle Paul or Peter tells us, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. So if we put those things into practice in our lives and have it in there constantly, we're not going to stumble. We're not going to fall. We can know that we have salvation and that God has provided for us the means to have that salvation and the means of how to be faithful while we're here on this earth. He goes on in verse 11, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So there we see that we have a promise that if we remain faithful to our Lord, that we have a home in heaven prepared for us. But it's only through the blood of Christ. And that entrance into heaven is only for those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 17, it says, And there shall be there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name written in that book? It sounds like according to that verse that the only way that we can get into heaven is to have our name written in the book of life. How do we get our name written in the book of life? Well, you have to be a penitent, confessing believer who is baptized to wash away the sin in their life. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter tells us there in simple words what one needs to do for the remission of sin, to have their sins taken away. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The song tells us that He will wash away our sins. Our sin will only be washed away by the blood of Christ. And as an alien sinner, one who is not a member of the body of Christ, 
as Saul was at the time in Acts 22 and verse 16. He was told, And why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. He had his sins washed away when he was obedient to what Jesus has said about belief and baptism in in Mark chapter 16, 15, and 16. And he was calling on the name of the Lord, calling on God to do what He had promised when one is obedient to what Jesus says we must do. That verse in that song, Jesus loves me, may leave the impression that little children are sinners in, in need of salvation. But little children do not inherit Adam's sin. They don't come into this world sinful creatures. That doctrine is false and it is not found in the Bible. The third verse says, Jesus, take this heart of mine. Make it pure and holy Thine. Thou hast bled and died for me. I will henceforth live for Thee. Jesus is concerned about our heart. If you studied the lessons that I sent online about the Beatitudes, you learned that one of those Beatitudes is stated in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Where Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How pure is your heart? I would venture to say that most of us here try to keep our hearts pure. And I would venture to say that most of the ladies here in this this group try to keep their house clean. But even as clean as you try to make it, there are times where we sometimes call it spring cleaning where you move things and you go into cracks and crevices of that house to clean things that aren't normally cleaned on a daily basis. Because you want the house to smell clean, to be clean, and no odors or whatever in it. And I'm suggesting that maybe as Christians, we we try to have a pure heart, but maybe we need to examine it and look into cracks and the crevices of our heart and make sure that there isn't impurities there that we've ignored. And I think that there's people that really like sometimes certain things in their life that they know they shouldn't have, and they've deceived themselves into thinking that all is okay. That, you know... I know, I know what the Bible says. I know I shouldn't do that, but I just feel, you know, God is okay. He's okay with it. I feel it. I feel it. If God's Word, the Bible, which is inspired and divine, if that's His Word, and His Word says He doesn't accept that, Do we get to change that? I think not. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your treasure? Are you laying up treasures in heaven? Or are you so concerned about the things down here that sometimes they get in the way of God? And that gets back to searching that heart. 
Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. The words that you say reveal what's in your heart. Have you ever said to someone, Oh, I didn't mean to say that. But you said it. That's what was in your heart at the time you said it. And it gets back to that pure heart. Be honest with self. And somewhere in the cracks and crevices of your life or your heart, that thought was there. And you need to take care of it. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8. This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I wonder. How many Christians does that verse describe? You see, some of the things that you read on the internet, Facebook and things of that nature, that tells us a lot about people. How many of us are just here but our heart is somewhere else. Oh, we'll give the lip service. Check those crevices. Check those cracks. Make sure your heart's pure. First Samuel 16 and verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the heart, outward appearance and the Lord looketh on the heart. God looks at our heart. Oh, you'll have people say, oh, it's okay. You know, God knows what's going on. He knows my inside. He knows what I mean. Well, the Bible says you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be involved with it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. But, I'm one of those guys that believe that if you take care of the heart, it's going to take care of this thing. And it's going to take care of what's on the outside. I can make you do things, but that's not going to change your heart. I can stand up here and I can preach and tell people what they need to do, show them what they need to do. But how many times do they get in the car and off they go and say, oh, that's just what the preacher's supposed to say. No, oh, you might not say it out loud. But that's in one of them cracks, in one of them crevices of your heart. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17 but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. When we obey the gospel, we have to do it from the heart. 
And that doesn't mean that we don't have to repent and, and, be, and confess and be baptized. doesn't mean any of that. That means that when we believe and we repent and we confess and we're baptized, that it's coming from the heart. It's coming from the, the, the mind, the, the soul. It's coming from inside. It's not just something that you do on the outside. Because all of us that are Christians realize you can dump people in the water all day long, but that doesn't make them a Christian. They have to obey from the heart. And when we continue to obey, when we continue to live the Christian life, it has to come from the heart. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, according as He has chosen us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Does God, cons- cons- uh, does God care about our heart? Does Jesus care about the heart condition? He most certainly does. He expects us to do what He asks us to do. And since, as the song says, Jesus bled and died for us, the least that we can do is live for Him. Paul taught that, taught that in view of Christ's life and death, that we should no longer live unto ourselves, but for Him. Every one of us that's obeyed the Gospel should be able to say, like the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Often it's harder to live for the Lord than it is to die for Him. Because at times when you may have to give up your life, that may be over very quickly. But sometimes living for the Lord may extend over a period of time. And sometimes it's easier to just die than it is to live. And I think Peter shows us that when he shows his weakness by denying Jesus three times, and yet he was at one point said that he would die for him. But when it came time, he denied our Lord. And yet, Jesus loved him to the end, honoring him and allowing him to be a disciple and have the great responsibilities and privileges of being an apostle. He loves us and He watches us. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, "...the angels which are sent forth to minister unto them who shall be heirs of salvation." So there's angels out there somewhere that are ministering to us in a way that maybe we don't know how. And people say, what do angels do? I don't know what they do. But I trust God that they're there. They're doing whatever they're supposed to do. He watches over us through leadership in the church, elders, deacons, preachers, teachers. They're there to lead and to help. 
And then, of course, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, we find the promise that He is with us always, even until the end of the world. And so, we know that Jesus loves us. And I want to close with this thought that's provided by the song. That Jesus loves me. There's billions of people on this planet. But Jesus loves me. He loves you. And He loves everyone else. Not only does God love the world, but He loves each one of us as individuals. And in Luke chapter 15, we find an interesting three parables that are found in, those, in that chapter. We find the lost sheep, where Jesus leaves, or is Jesus that He's referring to here, who's the shepherd who leaves ninety and nine to go and find the just one. It's the woman who's diligently searching for that lost coin, using a light and a broom trying to find that lost coin. And He's that father that's anxiously awaiting the return of His prodigal son. We see there the love that God has, that Jesus has for us as individuals. You say, well, preacher, I can't believe that Jesus loves me. What is there about me that He would love? What makes Him want to love me? And do you really want the answer to that question? Because the answer is truly, there's nothing about you that will cause Him to love you. We're saved by His grace. If we got what we deserve, where would we be? We're saved by His grace, His goodness, His love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love Him because He first loved us. Jesus said, If you love Me, keep My commandments. And Jesus commands us to believe, to repent, to confess, and to be baptized, and then to be faithful while we're here on this earth. I've told this story before about the church secretary who was working one day and the phone rang. Well, when the phone rang, she usually answered the phone with, uh, Jesus loves you. My name's Sharon, or Sharon speaking. How may I help you? One day she was deep in conversation with someone that was, had come into the office. And when the phone rang, she answered the phone and she says, Sharon loves you. Jesus speaking. How may I help you? And there was a pause on the other end of the phone. And then they said, somehow... I thought your voice would be different. And we sometimes are like that. You hear somebody on the radio, you've listened to them for years, and then when you see them in person, it's like, oh, didn't, didn't think they would look like that. There are people who when they hear some of the teachings from the Bible, they don't like what they hear. They think Jesus should sound different. They think Jesus should be different. And so they try to accept Jesus the way they want Jesus to be while rejecting the Jesus that they don't like. 
You treat him kind of like a smorgasbord where you go up and you get what you want and leave behind. As I said earlier, my grandson looks at the table and goes, oh, I don't want that. That doesn't look good. And that's the way we are with Jesus sometimes. I don't want that teaching. I don't want that, but I want Jesus. Well, it doesn't work that way. We don't get to pick and choose with Jesus. If you want Jesus that the Bible says loves you, you have to take the rest of the package with it. And so, yes, Jesus loves us. The question is, do we love Him? If you need to respond to the invitation, you can do so while we stand and sing.